We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very, very much, as always, for locking into Talking Buffalo Podcast today. I appreciate each and every single one of you, as I always do. Um, Happy Tuesday, everyone. And uh, let me say this, too. This is not going to be a particularly long episode. I'm kind of, not kind of, I am going solo today. Got a couple other things on the table that I'll get to in a second. But anyway, I'm doing a solo episode today and the theme is pretty, well, it's pretty clear here. I'm doing Buffalo Bills 2021 year-end awards. And at the midpoint of the regular season, we did a a Bills mid-season award show. I did that one with Joe from Queens. And basically it's the best and the worst of the 2021 Buffalo Bills season. Again, I did one at the midpoint. We'll review that today. And then I'm going to let you know if any of these categories, if they stayed the same, the recipients, again, good and bad, or if they've changed from the second half of the season and through the playoffs. So that's what we got in store today. Again, solo effort, not going to be very long. Quite frankly, I don't find myself very interesting when I do these solo episodes, but I think this is a pretty cool topic. So. It's something I wanted to hit on. And these are my awards. And sometimes when you do these with someone else, you have different opinions and then you kind of go back and forth. So I didn't want to do that. I just wanted to give out my awards for the 2021 Buffalo Bills season today. Um, A couple quick notes, real quick, then we'll get going. So hopefully you're listening to this sometime relatively early today. And by today, I mean Tuesday. I wanted to let you know, I haven't done one of these in quite a while. But if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that last year I was doing a series called the Finer Finer Wings Club. And basically what I would do is get together with a guest or a couple guests and we would hit up a wing spot and we would have wings and we would tape a live show over wings and talk about that place and the bills, Buffalo, whatever, you know, whatever, just like always on the show, whatever the topics were. For that week. I haven't done one of those shows in a while though. But anyway, I am going to be doing one. In fact, I'm taping it live tonight. By tonight, I mean Tuesday night live. I'm going to be at Imperial Pizza in South Buffalo. I've been there once before. I had Nick Gary and Marcel Louis Jacques. I'm going to be back there a second time. So Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Imperial Pizza. 
I'm going to be joined by Buffalo Bills beat reporter at NewYorkUp.com, a recurring guest of the show, a very good friend of mine, Matt Perino. So Matt's going to be with me. And also John Scott, um, sports anchor over at Spectrum Sports. He's been on the podcast with me once. Really good guy. I love John. So I'm going to have Matt and John with me. We're going to tape the show live. There'll be video too as well. We're going to do it at 7 p.m. Imperial. So if you happen to be around, you want to come in, you want to say hello to myself or to Matt or John, that's always appreciated. I love doing these shows. You know, it's fun getting together with somebody, whether it's a phone call, a video conference, whatever you want to call it, to do these shows like we usually do. But the dynamic of doing them live and especially live in a in a restaurant or a bar or something like that. It's just a, it's a different energy, a different vibe. I love it. So anyway, Tuesday night, 7 p.m., Imperial Pizza. Stop on by if you want. Matt Perino and Jot Scott are going to join me. Anyway, all right, let's get down to business here. Again, I don't want to keep you long today. Buffalo Bills 2021 year-end awards. We did the midseason, and we're going to do the same categories in the same order, and I'll tell you what ones I think are going to be different from uh, the midseason. And let's start right off the bat here with the worst game. Now, in the midseason awards, the worst game was the Jacksonville Jaguars game. They lost 9-6, to and I said at the time, seriously, there's no explanation needed for that game. I still feel that way. Generally speaking, I mean, no explanation needed. I don't call it the worst game anymore. I think now that the season's over, the worst game was obviously the Kansas City Chiefs, the playoff game because they had the, the manner in which they lost. 13 seconds, and unfortunately, that's going to be referenced more than once throughout this episode, but how can they not be the worst game? I'll say that Jacksonville game was still very, very critical. It was largely important because had the Bills not blown that game, a game that they had absolutely no business ever losing, um, that playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs would have been in Orchard Park. And I truly believe in my heart that had that game been in Orchard Park, it would have been a much different result. I mean, the Bills should have won in Arrowhead. They blew it in the last 13 seconds. But honestly, I feel like the way the Chiefs were constructed this year and just the way the Bills were, if that game was in Orchard Park, the way they were playing, I think that could have been a blowout win for the Bills. So that Jacksonville game was still very bad. But the worst game, and again, I don't really need to dive into it right now. I'm sure you all agree. The Kansas City Chiefs game, the playoff game, that was uh, the worst game of the year. Best game of the year. So at midseason, I had the Kansas City Chiefs game when they went week five, Sunday night football, and they put a whip it on the Chiefs, 38-20. And at the time, I talked about mentally how big that game was for the Buffalo Bills, that they were able to, to get over the hump, so to speak. They needed to know that they could beat the Kansas City Chiefs because, quite frankly, in 2020, I don't think the Bills were on the same level as the Chiefs. The Chiefs came to town during the regular season. It was Monday Night Football. Yeah. And they won. It was a relatively close game, but the score was a lot closer than the actual game was. Kansas City kind of dominated. And then in the AFC Championship game, not this year, last year, yeah, the Bills were up early. I think they might have even been winning at the end of the first quarter, but it felt eminent that Kansas City was going to take control of that game. And ultimately, they did. And that's because they were the better team. So I thought it was it was very important for the Bills from a mental aspect if they're taking that next step, getting over the hump, beating the Chiefs on the road. And that's exactly what they did. And they did it very convincingly. Sunday night football in front of a national audience, 
Uh, Josh Allen was spectacular in that game. He was 15 to 26, 315 yards, three touchdowns, and he ran for 59 yards. So he accounted for four touchdowns that game, and he very, very clearly outplayed Patrick Mahomes, who the Bills defense forced into numerous costly mistakes. I look at that now, and with the year-end awards, I don't think that was the best game anymore. And I know everybody wants to say who doesn't agree with that. They'll immediately point to the wild card round game where the Bills just absolutely destroyed the New England Patriots. I think it was 47-17 that game. But for me, that wasn't their best game. For me, the best game was the second Buffalo-New England game. The day after Christmas, I think uh, it was the biggest game of the regular season for sure. Buffalo was 9-6 and six at the time. They had lost at home to New England. They were going on the road for the rematch. And essentially, with the Bills playing Atlanta and the New York Jets at home to end the season, this was their must-win game. This game essentially was for the AFC East. And again, coming off a pretty demoralizing home loss with the win being a huge factor on Monday night a couple weeks before that, 14 to 10. Uh, the Bills came out and they just, they dominated. They dominated and it was, uh, it was fun to watch if you're a Bills fan anyway. Josh Allen was again spectacular. 314 yards, three touchdowns. He ran for 64 yards, didn't turn the ball over, was not sacked. That was the game. Also, I believe Cole Beasley was out with COVID and Isaiah McKenzie who was benched not long before that, largely because of that fumble and that Indianapolis uh, Colts debacle. But anyway, Isaiah came back and he had a, a very strong game. 11 catches, 125 yards and a touchdown. It was a career day for Isaiah. I just think that was a huge game for the Bills. And again, essentially that was for the division. That was the best game of the year for me. Not necessarily the most impressive, Again, the, the rematch, or not the rematch, the rubber match with New England in the playoffs was e easily the most impressive game, of course. But the best game for me, when everything was on the line and there was a lot of doubt, was going into New England and uh, smacking them around. So, moving on, we have Rookie of the Year. And at the midpoint, I had Spencer Brown winning very, very, ever so slightly over uh, Greg Rizzo. And at the time we talked about uh, Spencer Brown clearly making the offensive line better. And we talked about him looking like a, a future stud who's was at the time getting close to looking at one at that point. He had started four games at that point when we did the, the midseason awards. I'll say this too. I, <laughs> this team was without question better with Spencer Brown in the lineup because when he missed a couple games because of COVID, I think he missed two games, we found out his value because when Daryl Williams had to go back to right tackle and a combination of Ford, Bacher, whoever it was playing guard until they settled in on Ryan Bates, that was disastrous. It was disastrous. And now that the end of the season is here, before that though, I, I want to say this, uh, Gregory Rizzo, again, at the midpoint of the season, this was a neck and neck race. I gave a very slight edge. Spencer Brown, but Greg Rizzo was right there in the mix at the midpoint of the season. He had had three sacks, five tackles for a loss, 
an interception, 26 tackles. And that Kansas City game, I mean, he had that athletic interception. That was a game-changing play on Patrick Mahomes. Gregory Rizal played really, really, really good the first half of the season, which was a pleasant surprise because all we kept hearing about with the NFL draft when they took him 30th overall with him not playing uh, the season before at the University of Miami, that this was more of a, a kid with a lot of upside, what was going to be a project. You know, it would get easier than a lineup, but that wasn't the case, man. He, the cable pretty much was starting from day one. Anyway, he had a great first half of the season. Now that the year's over and I go to rookie of the year, I, I still have Spencer Brown, but it's not really close. I think Spencer Brown, could, he, he got to a level and for the most part, he stayed there. Now he's not a perfect player. We saw him get hurt by some speed rushing late in the season. But this kid is a rock, man. He is a, he's a giant of a man. He's a good right tackle. He's going to get significantly better. We hope so anyway, because if he does, he's going to be a stud because he's pretty damn good right now. He's pretty good right now. You have, you know, there's a lot of areas with the Bills where there might be question marks over the next couple of years, but you look at the offensive tackle position, which is really huge, especially when you got a quarterback like Josh Allen and you got Deion Dawkins on the left. You got Spencer Brown on the right. You're feeling really good about that, man. You're feeling really good about that, right? Spencer Brown's a good player. Greg Rizzo, uh, look, statistically, he fell off in the second half of the season. He, in fact, he only had like one sack over his last like 13 games or something like that. Statistically, he didn't get it done after a good start, but... That said, I'm not worried about it. He still flashed, by the way. It wasn't like he was garbage. He just didn't put up numbers after a hot start. I think Gregory Rizzo is a good, uh, I think he's in a pretty underrated run defender, quite frankly. You know, I was telling somebody this. It might've been Aaron Quinn from Cover One. He reminds me in a way, and I want to be clear, I think he has more upside to be a better player, but he reminds me of Shaq Lawson when Shaq Lawson was with the Bills. His last year, because Shaq Lawson was kind of a, a bust early on in his Bills career, and then he got better, and then he went and got paid. Anyway, um, Shaq Lawson would put up, get five, six sacks, something like that per year, but he was a very underrated, very good edge defender. Like, he was good against the run. I'm seeing that already, immediately, with Greg Rizzo. I'm not down on Greg Rizzo whatsoever. I think he's a good building block going forward, but... It was a close race at the midpoint. At the end of the year, it wasn't a close race. Spencer Brown, a by a lot. But again, that's no indictment on Greg Rizzo. I still think he has a, a very bright future. All right, let's move on here. Most pleasant surprise. All right, so at the midpoint of the season, I went with Mitch Morse. And we talked about at that time that Mitch Morse in 2020, he didn't look good. He also wasn't healthy last year. Um, many thought going into this past offseason, last offseason, I should say, that the Bills should either cut him or make him take a pay cut, redo his contract, something, because he wasn't worth the big contract that the Bills gave him based on what we saw in 2020. Mitch Morris, let's not forget this, folks. He's one of the highest paid centers in the entire NFL. And 
I remember very well last offseason was a lot of talk about Mitch Morris being gone. There was a lot of talk about picking a, a center very early in the 2021 NFL draft. I remember that very well. In fact, I did a series of mock drafts with Aaron Quinn leading up to last year's draft. And I remember, I think we might have picked a center a couple of times ourselves, but they were all over the place, all over the place. Mitch Morris, it seemed like he was on borrow time. And uh, again, but he wasn't really healthy in 2020, right? Let me show you, I got these years right. I mean, he had the concussion problems. So yeah, going into the season, there were concerns. And I thought, you know, I just talked about Spencer Brown. We talk about Deion Dawkins a little bit here and there. I think Mitch Morris, by a considerable margin, was the most consistent player on the offensive line this entire season. I thought he was really good. And I went from a year ago thinking about, well, how can we get rid of this guy and who could take his place? Now I'm thinking, because Mitch Morris is going into the final year of his contract, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know he has a high cap it. I'm hoping that the Bills maybe extend him or kind of find a way to extend so they can restructure a deal going down forward because I'd like this guy to be the Bill Center for, for a while. He's not old, by the way. He's only like 30 years old. But anyway, he's not like this big, strong road grading blocker, but he's highly athletic. He's a very, very good pass blocking center. The Bills like to throw the ball. I like the kid a lot. Not kid. I like him a lot. I like Mitch Morse a lot. And uh, he was my most pleasant surprise at the midpoint. He still, at the end of the year, was a nice, pleasant surprise for me. But I'm kind of switching gears here. And by the way, at the midpoint, I also um, had honorable mention for Mario Addison. And I think Mario Addison was all right in the second half, but nothing special. And we talked about Gregory Rizzo at the midpoint as well. Uh, we just talked about him now. An honorable mention at that time was Dawson Knox. Now that the season's over, I actually think I'm going to go ahead and give most pleasant surprise to Dawson Knox. <laughs> you know, we talk about concerns with Mitch Morris going into the season. You know, I've told this story a hundred times. So if you listen to this podcast regularly, here's story number 101. I very well remember doing a Final Wings Club episode at Mulberry with Nate Gary and with Matt Perino. And the topic was red flags, biggest concerns going into training camp. We did this episode over the summer, maybe a month or so before the bills, uh, before the season started. And we spent a lot of time that day. And I mean, a lot of time focused on the tight end position and Dawson Knox specifically. And I say that because I remember it so well, because Dawson Knox was there at the restaurant with his girlfriend having dinner, not 15 feet away from us. So I just found that really ironic. But anyway, coming into the season, we've seen a lot of flashes in the first couple of years with Dawson Knox. Great catches, good blocks, but we also saw drops. We also saw bonehead penalties, mental errors, things like that. He was a very talented, but raw and inconsistent player, quite frankly. Now that this season's over, I think Dawson Knox has completely turned the corner big time. Now, he's not a perfect player. He still has annoying drops. He still does some things wrong here and there, but so do most tight ends, all right? There's a, Dawson Knox had 49 catches, 587 yards, and a team record, nine touchdown catches for a Bills tight end. So that was a team record, a franchise record this year. We'll never forget the New England game 
He had like five catches, 89 yards, two touchdowns. I'm talking about the playoff game, of course. And he was inches away from having a third touchdown against the Patriots in the playoffs. This kid's a playmaker, man. He's good. Josh Allen trusts him. That catch he made, that first touchdown in that Patriots playoff game was just unbelievable. I mean, Josh evaded about 20 different sacks. It looked like he was throwing the ball away, and then out of nowhere, Dawson Knox comes in and makes a just an absolutely incredible catch. Anyway, I think Dawson Knox could be a star going forward. That's, a, that's what I think about him. I mean, you got your elite tight ends right now in the league, Kelsey, Mark Andrews, Kittle. Those are the best of the best, them three. Then there's a big, large group that's a level below them. And I think Dawson Knox is pretty much right there with that group, man. He's right there. I think he could be great. Now, that said, <laughs> last week on Casual Friday with Joe Yurden, we talked about potentially if Rob Gronkowski doesn't retire and he becomes a free agent and Tampa is not all in to win a Super Bowl and he plays somewhere else, I think the Bills would be a great fit for him. Caught a lot of shit for that from fans, by the way. A lot of shit, mainly because of the Trey White stuff. That was no disrespect, though, to Dawson Knox. I just think the Bills could have Gronk and Knox. You could have two great tight ends, 1A, 1B, whatever you want to call it. You could run a lot of personnel with both of them on the field. I think that'd be great. Anyway, fans didn't agree. But regardless of Gronk, because he's probably not going to come here, um, Dawson Knox is a, uh, last year, I would have said tight end was a big need. This year, this offseason, I'm like, all right, well, Dawson Knox has one more year, one more year left, I believe, on his contract. Let's extend him. I think he might even be a priority. And I still think they have a need at tight end. But now it's for Tommy Sweeney. They need a TE too. Because Tommy Sweeney ain't that guy. So sign a veteran or, or draft somebody, but you're good with Dawson Knox. All right, uh, moving on. So that was your most pleasant surprise. Biggest disappointment. Mid-season, we had Cody Ford um, coming into camp this year. Cody Ford was came in healthy after a lot of injuries his last or his first two years. So Cody Ford was penciled in, not in pen, but penciled in as a starter at guard. And he had every opportunity on earth uh, to win the job. You know, he had every opportunity to become a good starter. It just became obvious relatively early that he just, he doesn't have it, man. He, he, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's physical limitations. I don't know if it's mental stuff, confidence. I don't know what it is, but he ain't it, man. He's not it. I think it's uh, the Bills could save $1.5 million or something like that this offseason by cutting him with no real dead cap hit. I'd be very surprised if he is here next season. Although, I mean, he'd be cheap labor of a guy who does have starting experience, so maybe could be kept as a depth guy, but he's not a starter. He's not a starter. And when you move up in the draft, Brandon Bean doesn't have a lot of misses, but he's had a couple draft picks that have not worked out. None so more than Cody Ford, a guy that they moved up into the second round to get. You know, that's one I'm sure Brandon Bean wishes he uh he had back, especially when you look at guys who went within a couple picks in that second round not long after him. Guys like AJ Brown and and DK Metcalf, um, Jenkins from Green Bay. A lot of good players there, man. Went later in the second round. So anyway, I had Cody Ford as my biggest disappointment. Now that the season's over, and, by, and I should also note too, uh, we had honorable mention discussions about uh, Matt Hawk. 
I mean, I just, I just don't care enough about punters, quite frankly. And I expected more from F.E. Obata. We talked about him at the midpoint as well. Now that the season's over, I'm going to keep the pick. Cody Ford is, is still my pick for all the reasons I just said. But I will say that uh, Starlo Tutelay is in the conversation for me. And it's just simply because the guy couldn't stay healthy. I mean, this is a guy who, I mean, quite the Bills needed him more than what he, what he got. COVID, injuries, he didn't play. He opted out of 2020. In Brandon Bean's press conference at the end of the season, he talked about how Starlo Tutelay what was playing well, and then he got COVID and then came back, but he wasn't the same player after. And I agree 100%. Harrison Phillips passed him on the depth chart. And that's, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm not giving credit to Harrison Phillips because he deserves credit, which by the way, I should have mentioned him as a, a most pleasant surprise considering he was coming off a torn ACL. They didn't even know if he's going to make this roster this year. And he ends it as the starting uh, defensive tackle, the one tech. Um, so, I mean, three tech. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to phase this the right way because I don't want to penalize Starla too late for getting COVID, even though he wasn't vaccinated and maybe he doesn't get as sick as he, as he did. But Deion Dawkins was vaccinated and he got sick and it lingered for a while with him the first time he got it anyway. He got it twice. So again, I don't want to like penalize him too much personally for something that might have happened regardless. But anyway, he deserves consideration, but I still go uh, with Cody Ford. Then we're going to move on here. Unsung hero. I had Levi Wallace at the midpoint. Um, I, I said it many times throughout the season. I'll say it again. Levi Wallace is considered and always has been considered the weak link of the Bills secondary. But to me, he's only the weak link because of how great the secondary is. You got Trey White before he got injured anyway. You got Trey White. You got Poyer. You got Hyde, you got Tron Johnson, you got an elite secondary. Literally everyone I just said is an elite player. So Levi Wallace, of course, he's going to be considered the uh, the weak link. But I thought he played well. And I think he's earned himself a really nice payday. This is what I said at the midseason point. Um, it's going to be an interesting choice for Brandon Bean. We talked about that at the midpoint awards. Because he re-signed for one year, well under $2 million last offseason. Ain't going to be the same this time around. And uh, at the time, we also talked about Tyler Bass as an honorable mention candidate. He was 19 of 20 for field goals and a perfect 29 for 29 extra points. So he was the honorable mention guy at the mid midpoint award show. Season's over. I'll say this. I still, I would give it to Levi Wallace despite the Kansas City playoff game where he was not good. He wasn't good at all. Tyreek Hill ate him alive. But you know what? Tyree Kill ate Trey White in the playoffs alive the year before that. I'm not going to let one game, as much as it hurts, ruin the totality of what I thought was a really good 2021 season for Levi Wallace. I thought he was fantastic. And I stick by what I said at the midpoint of the season too. I think he has earned himself a really nice payday, but I'm not sure it's going to come from Buffalo. I mean, if this guy's going to go out, I've seen some projections where he might get over seven, eight million a year. If he does, I'd be the first to shake his hand and say, congratulations, go get your bag. But it ain't going to be with Buffalo. I don't see the Bills paying that much money for a second corner. I just don't. But anyway, I still do give it to Levi, but now 
it's ever so slightly. And the guy who comes in a very close second wasn't even somebody who, I don't even know if he played a snap the first half of the season. And that's Ryan Bates. He came in that New England game that rematched that 33-21 win on the road only because Eichbacher got hurt. And I think John Feliciano was still out at the time. And Ryan Bates stepped into guard and I thought played excellent. From the moment he got on that field, the Bills offensive line was better. That combination with Dawkins, Bates at left guard, Morris, Darrell Williams at right guard, Spencer Brown at right tackle. Those five guys far and away was the Bills' best offensive line. The offense was significantly better the rest of the season with Ryan Bates. They ran the ball better. Josh Allen got sacked less. The offense was a lot better. The offensive line deserves a lot of credit. And Ryan Bates specifically, who again was just sitting around all season long until week whatever it was, 14, 15, whatever the hell it was, got his opportunity, took advantage of it, didn't look back. And I would venture to say going into this offseason, offensive guard is less of a priority than it was before. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to add to the position. In fact, I'm pretty confident they will. But I think Ryan Bates going forward, who's a restricted free agent, by the way, very, very, very much is in line to be the starter at left guard uh, going forward. All right, two more here, and then we'll take a real quick break. I'm going to get these moving along a little faster. Best offseason transaction, re-signing Matt Milano. Um, we thought, I remembered it this time last year, not long after the season was over. We, we considered it a, a foregone conclusion. Matt Milano was going to go get himself paid somewhere else. Get a monster deal with another team. Ended up resigning four years, $44 million, And uh, he had an injury that slowed him down a little bit. Quite frankly, I'm not sure he played his greatest football in the playoffs. That Kansas City game wasn't great. But uh, re-signing him was a great, great move for the Bills. I think it paid off really, really well. And now that the season's over, uh, I stand by that. Resigning Matt Milano, best offseason move. Worst offseason transaction. At the time, we came up with resigning John Feliciano. Uh, pretty big contract, three years, $14.5 million. Um, I don't know. We talked about it at the midpoint, resigning him last offseason anyway. Pretty much said the Bills were content with the line that they had, continuity going in, and I thought that was a pretty big mistake. Didn't play well. Season's over. I feel the same. You know, they could have done better with that money. It's nothing against John Feliciano personally. I don't expect him to be back. The Bills can save over $3 million by cutting him. Although, you, again, you can make a case. If they're willing to spend heavy on the offensive line for depth, he's a guy who could play center or guard. Hopefully do it reasonably well if called upon, but not a good offseason transaction. They could have done better than him, and uh, they didn't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we're back with 2021 Buffalo Bills end of the season awards. Best play. At the halfway point of the season, it was the 35-yard perfect dime. Josh Allen to Emmanuel Sanders for a touchdown against the Kansas City Chiefs. It was a pretty big play in the game. The Bills took the lead for good. And, um, you know, it, there's not much more to add. It was just it was a fun play to watch. Fantastic. Now I'm going to say this. Now that the season's over. I think the best play of the season was that New York Jets game when Josh Allen, I don't know how he avoided getting sacked, but he did several times and almost falling out of bounds on the right sideline, threw the ball in the, near the corner of the end zone, and Stephon Diggs just comes into frame and makes an amazing catch, gets his feet down. It's, uh, it's one of the greatest plays I've ever seen a quarterback and receiver make together, man. It was just, it was unbelievable. I know playing the Jets at home in the finale, it's not like the biggest game, the biggest moment. But this is best play, and there wasn't a better play than that all season long. Honorable mention, <laughs> look, man, I could name about 10 Josh Allen plays in the fourth quarter alone against the Kansas City Chiefs. So let's just give all those plays to him as an honorable mention. Other hand, worst play. Um, at the time, midseason, we had Josh Allen slipping on fourth and inches in that Tennessee game. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying if he doesn't slip. They get that first down, probably score, and and they win the game. And again, just like I said with Jacksonville, they're hosting the Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs. That was the worst play at the time. I would say now, if I have to go back, because the season's over and we're going to add significance to the worst play, I would go with the soft coverage. You got eight seconds left in the game. I'm talking, of course, about the playoffs. And the soft coverage, following a timeout, that allowed Travis Kelsey basically a free seam route to uh, the easiest 24 yards you'll ever get in his life to set up a, a field goal to send that game in overtime in the playoffs. Should have never happened, folks. Should have never happened. Somebody should have been lined up over him, chipped him, tackled him. There should have been double coverage on him. Somebody should have been on him. 
He was literally untouched. He ran a seam, got tackled, field goal, you know, the rest of the story. Pretty easy for me. That's the worst play of the season. A um, couple more here. Best development at the midpoint. We said Ed Oliver developing into a star right now. And no spoiler or uh, no suspense here, I should say. End of the season, same deal. To me, Ed Oliver is a star right now. He's been, He was a standout. He played like a top 10 pick should. Um, he's never going to be a, like a stats guy. He's never going to put these numbers in front of you that just make you go, wow. And I think stats can be overrated, you know? But leading into this season, I thought his production was just okay. He was like a mid-round pick guy to me. Not anymore. Now he looks like a top 10 pick. He's affecting games. Not that he wasn't before, but now he really is. He's a game changer. I like him a lot. I think he's... You can make a case that he was one of the best players on the Bills this year. So for that reason, that was the best development because that was not the case going into the season. Uh, conversely, worst development at the midpoint of the season, it went to the Bills being scary thin on the offensive line. And, uh, you know, we talked about the injuries, Feliciano being hurt, Cody Ford being terrible, Ibacher not very good, but they... <laughs> Bobby Hart had a cup of coffee. I mean, he was in and out with the practice squad and stuff. I think he might have played one. I think it was a Jacksonville game, which was the only game he played. The offensive line was just bad, all right? It was, and it was really thin, and we saw that. So that was the worst development. And I had honorable mention at the time, the Bills running backs, because quite frankly, they weren't performing well at all, man. They weren't performing well at all. Anyway, end of the season, that's not, the to me, that's not the worst development now. The worst development for me is the coaches as a whole. But, you know, more specifically, when you're the CEO, you're the head coach, you're Sean McDermott. I'm talking mainly about you, man. Gagging biggest moments of games this year. I thought he was outcoached badly in the Jacksonville game. Not even so much outcoached as the team just flat out wasn't even ready to play that game. You put up six points against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Your team ain't ready to play. That first Monday night game against New England, everyone in the world knows New England's going to run the football. Pound, 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 pound the football. And they had success doing it. The Bills were just outcoached that game. Sean McDermott got called out for it. He didn't like it. I don't blame him. But it, it wasn't a good moment for him. And then the last 13 seconds, um, I don't have it in me to rehash all that. You know? Let's just say that that is 13 seconds in the hearts and minds of Buffalo Bills fans that will live in infamy forever. Now, I, now I'm at a point, this is where I'm at a point when it comes to Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott is a great leader of men, but until he can prove otherwise, it's now fair. He's fair game to question his in-game management and to question his decisions. Last year in the AFC Championship game against Kansas City, I thought he went soft and he was coach scared. He was conservative. Those last 13 seconds, I don't know. I, maybe we'll never know if it was him or Leslie Frazier that ultimately made those defensive play calls. But the Bills had two timeouts. They took a timeout before each play. Sean McDermott had an opportunity. If he didn't like what he saw, he said, no, no, no. We ain't running this D. Nothing was done. Those 45 yards were handed to the Chiefs. It went to overtime and we know the results. So worst development to me, is I'm starting to be concerned that these coaches gag when uh, the moments are the biggest. Are the moments too big for Sean McDermott? That's a bad development. 
All right, last two here, folks. Team MVP. <laughs> really, this is going to be a debate. Josh Allen was at the midpoint. Um, 2,602 yards in the first half of the season. Um, 19 touchdowns, six interceptions. Yada, yada, yada. You already know how good he was. Um, now, season's over. <laughs> really? Come on. Josh Allen, to me, is uh, the real deal beyond the stats, which were really good. 4,400 yards passing, 36 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, which, quite frankly, if there's a weakness, I'd like to see uh, him improve on that. 637 yards rushing. But anyway, the best part about Josh Allen being team MVP is he proved that 2020 was no fluke. He finished second in uh, NFL MVP last year, and he was every bit as good this year. And in some ways better because when it mattered most, Josh Allen played his best football. You know, if the Bills had lost in the playoffs for another reason why, like let's say Josh Allen didn't play that well, we'd be questioning, can he get it done? I know before the playoffs started, we questioned, can he play in cold weather? Matt Fairborn hit, put out a stat about his record in, in bad weather and, uh, you know, his numbers and they weren't great. And that led to a lot of debate and it was fair, not against Matthew, it was a fair Fair tweet. Um, but Josh Allen just crushed it in the playoffs, dude. Crushed it. Probably the two best playoff games I've ever seen a quarterback play in my life. So I feel great about him going forward. And we don't have to worry about is Josh Allen a choker. Josh Allen ain't no choker, folks. We saw that with our own eyes. Team MVP, very easy. All right, last one. And this was the last one we did at the midpoint because it was the hardest one to come up with at that time. It was defensive MVP. And uh, we went with Jordan Poyer, and we said at the time they could have easily went to Tremaine Edmonds or Teron Johnson, Micah Hyde, or at the time, Trey White or even Matt Milano. And we even talked about Ed Oliver deserving consideration. Now the season's over. I do think Ed Oliver deserved consideration. I think Micah Hyde did as well. But for me, same as the midseason, uh, Jordan Poyer to me was a, well, he was what, he was what the NFL voted him, all right? He was a, he was a first-team All-Pro. Five interceptions, three sacks, didn't make the Pro Bowl, which is a complete and utter joke, but he was rewarded by being named first team AP All-Pro, and I thought that was awesome, man. It was a good year for Jordan Poyer. I'm sure he'd like to have it back a couple plays in the playoffs game against, uh, against the Chiefs, though, for sure. That bad angle. He took on Tyreek Hill, but you know what? It is what it is. Anyway, so there you go. Those were our 2021 Buffalo Bills season-ending team awards. Again, if you're hearing this Tuesday, you want to come out Tuesday night to Imperial Pizza. I'm going to be taping a show live with Matt Marino and John Scott. If you can make it out, say hello. That'd be great. If not, it will be here in podcast form, dropping on Wednesday morning. So make sure you check that out. Of course, Casual Friday with Joe Yurden every Friday. Be on the lookout for that. Guys, if you haven't subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review, all that stuff. It really helps me continue to grow this show. Um, make sure you check out our YouTube page, Talking Buffalo Podcast YouTube channel. We are putting up highlight clips from these podcast episodes. It's been a lot of fun to do those, and the, the feedback has been very, very good. So do that. Follow me, of course, on Twitter, at Pat Moran. Thank you very, very much for listening. I appreciate each and every single one of you. I promise you, I really, really do. Thanks again. I'll be back. Brand new episode actually tomorrow, man. Matt Perino and John Scott. Talk to you soon.